We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Most valuable player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton. Nice jumper. Got it. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Hey there. Welcome to the Eurostep Podcast Network. This is a collaboration between the Win in Six Podcast and the Eurostep Podcast coming directly after the Bucks evened up their Eastern Conference semifinal series against the Brooklyn Nets. A 107-96 victory from Milwaukee. A lot of takeaways from this game. First and foremost, of course, is that, you know, despite the chaos and panic and i'm not ridiculing those emotions at all but all the negativity again deserved negativity following games two and even game three as well the bucks are right back in this thing still no no uh, home team is lost it's an even series and now the bucks seem to have maybe the upper hand with kyrie irving joining james harden uh, on the injured list adam rohan did i introduce you guys no, we were just ducking from the strays there. <laughs> I, it's me too, though. It, it is. It's but you, definitely me too. Yeah, you, know, you conveniently miss, you know, <laughs> the podcast where uh, Rohan, Rohan screamed and startled at all the listeners. Increasing I, heart rates out of here. So I wanted to address, I'm, I'm joined by Adam McGee of the Win in Six podcast and Rohan Cotty of the Eurostep. I'm Ty Windish of the Eurostep podcast as well. Wanted to address some comments from the last podcast. First, Adam mm-hmm. wonders if I listen to the pods if I'm not on it. That's like a that's a shot without saying anything. That's like oh, a, it was a shot. I'm so yeah, exactly. So I mean, well, I put it in the DM that I was going to answer your slander, and you sent a gif like, "What did I do?" You made it sound like big time tie over here. I, I don't exactly. have time to check out the pod. Well, I I did listen. Thank well, you. Very this is much. exactly the reason why I asked that question was because. <laughs> Big time tie. And how often have you not been on your own podcast? Not, not over the years. Pretty rare. See, we've given you some flexibility now, but it's good to know that you, you tuned in. in. I'm tuned in. I have nothing for Rohan. Absolutely correct that I thought I could get away with uh, sneaking in that I never truly lost faith in Brooke Lopez. We all know it was gone. <laughs> we all See, know the thing is, you're, you're talking about Adam 
like saying like, oh, you're not saying I listen to the pod. Are you assuming the same thing about me then when you're making those comments <laughs> that I'm not going to listen to the pod? It's Come on, more Ty. that I thought maybe I could just sneak one by. Nah, nah, no, not getting no. past me here. Too crisp, too crisp. Okay, let's talk about the basketball game now. Um, I mean, I guess I think the biggest, I think the place to start with this game and, and this point in the series is, are our thoughts changed on is this a real series the Bucks can win now? And if so, is it only because of Kyrie potentially missing, you know, maybe the rest of the series? We just don't know that it was looked like a pretty severe ankle sprain. We don't really have an update on timeline. We also don't have one on Harden. So I'm not expecting exact uh, news on that anytime soon from Brooklyn. But, you know, both of these guys could miss the rest of the series. So is it just because of that? If your mind is changed, is it changed at all? Uh, let's start with Adam. Oh, my mind has changed. I mean, how could your mind not be changed from where it was two days ago, three days ago? Um, and then obviously going back even further to after game two in Brooklyn. Yeah, you can't. It's We're all square. This is a series and it's that great situation where, you know, you're you have the chance to break serve. You're not worried about holding serve now. The book's going into game five with all the momentum not just in terms of results, but just the dynamics of the series with the injury swings that that unfortunately have fallen um, the next way. Yeah, the books are in a, a very, very good place. Is that purely down to Kyrie? Yes and no. I mean, a game when they played absolutely terribly, and that was game three. And that was something that, amongst everything else, we did discuss, Rowan, which was, you know, they've opened the door. And then if you win game four, it's a case of let's go along for the ride and let's see what happens. And the Nets really should have found a way to win that game. I really thought they were going to win that game right up until kind of the final three minutes when all of a sudden the books found some offense. Um, not the prettiest offense, but they found functional offense to just get some points on the board. Then on this game, the Bucks were making a lot of shots, long overdue. Still, the percentages don't, you know, don't grade out as something completely off the charts. There's still room for some good games, but the volume of made trees was very, very positive and may not be something they match again. The game was close enough that if Kyrie was there, it could have been a different game. But I think most importantly, we just got to give the books credit for playing really well. For the first time in the series, they played well. Guys were fully engaged. They were doing what they needed to do on both ends. The books won the battle of the role players. We'll get to some really notable role player performances. And then star players, you know, stepped up again. Um, maybe even beyond what they're their box score contributions show. I think in the case of Chris Middleton, I can't remember too many Middleton games that are much better than that. And it feels like that's not really all there in the box score. Drew just found enough, but we're still not quite seeing what we'd like to see. Um, got a little bit better as the game went on. And I think it's really his jump shot, right? It's the thing that we'd like to see fall a bit more. But all in all, I mean, the books are now in a great position but we can't pretend that you know Kyrie's injury hasn't played a major role in that. The books playing well this time, you know, that's that's what you want to see. If they'd only won this game again in a really ugly fashion because Kyrie went down, I I don't know how I would feel. 
I might be closer to how I was a few days ago than I am right now, which is the books have given us reason for optimism. And hey, Bud has given us some reason for optimism. This was a good Bud game with some some adjustments and some things that they maybe still need to go to some more, but they did some stuff that worked, which I'm sure we'll get into in, in real detail as we go on here. Yeah, I can't really say I disagree with you there, Adam. It's just you can't look at this game and say, oh, it's the same old Bucks." No, they're they're playing in a much different way. Has my mind changed about how I feel about this series? Probably not because they're still following the same patterns that we've talked about all series long. Like if they actually get uh, uh, some flowing offense, they get like actual sets being run, not just delving into isolation play. This team has the capability to hang with anyone in the entire league. And they're showing it right now against the Brooklyn Nets. And there's no reason to say that, oh, like we can't see this going forward. Yeah, I think for me, um, certainly the way the Bucks played, even before Kyrie went down, I mean, if you look, the Nets were minus four in the Kyrie minutes before he gets hurt, which obviously it's it, a lot of those came with KD. Those two have been playing a ton of minutes in this series. And they've they've done well. I mean, they've they've those two especially. I think Kyrie really has impressed me. He had a great defensive play, uh, not too not too uh, long or soon before he went down. Um, but Milwaukee was playing with Giannis at the center for real. Uh, they were using Giannis off ball actions. He was cut into the rim. He was finally setting some screens, although still not a terrific screen and role player. Uh, unfortunately, but I think there was a change up in play style for the Bucks. And I think really the reason for optimism, and I too think that this is obviously a, a different thing now for a lot of reasons. I think the gray area, or not the, the gray, but like the correct middle ground is Kyrie's injury, of course, plays a huge role. The Bucks also improved the way they played. Uh, Bud coached a much better game. I mean, early on, the Nets jump out to a lead, and you see the same old the same old tweets of like, there's a couple people who will just always blame Bud when things are not going well. And the I, shots they were creating early were good, though. They were good. The game started really well from a schematic perspective, and I realize there's probably people who associate me with always blaming <laughs> Bud no matter what, and, and I get that, but... I right away I was like no Bud is not messing up right now like Drew had four really good looks to start the game and only made one of them but eventually it came around Chris and Giannis helped a lot with it coming around uh, it being the Bucks offense but they were actually executing uh, and not just isoing and I think the real room for optimism is they won this game fairly handily at the end of the day but there's still a lot of room for improvement I mean that second half there was multiple occasions when I thought Brooklyn was actually going to be able to get back into the game because Milwaukee got too ISO happy. Giannis still taking way too many threes. As soon as he made his first three-point attempt, I was a little concerned that it wouldn't actually work out all that well for the Bucks. And he goes on to take four more and make none of them. And it's just it's it's a problem at this point that we really need to cut those down. But uh, all that said, I was kind of surprised. I mean I know KD on this team, there's not a lot of help. I get it. I was a little surprised he wasn't able to get something going because I do think the Bucks left the window open. And there was some, I think there was a real opportunity for the Nets to come back and take this game. Like, I think it wasn't like a Bucks blowout win. I thought it was in an in between area a few times. Chris Middleton with a huge triple, I think, to end the third quarter that really helped. But KD just not able to, to shot make. And not all of them were like, 
him being triple teamed with no space. He missed some good looks too. So I think there's still room for improvement. The Bucks can and, and should and need to get better, but we we are seeing movement in the right direction. Can I get spicy here? I know this is, you know, the oh Rowan smiling. Oh boy. Katie's heart was not in it once Kyrie went. Nope. This is and this is a guy who uh Let's say we know he has a history of liking to play with other superstars. And all of a sudden he was looking around and he's like, it's me and Blake Griffin. And then Blake Griffin was just not there either. Like there was big, I did not sign up for this energy. 100%. It's, and it is literally, if he wanted to sign up for that, he would have gone and signed for the Knicks. Like if he wanted to live in New York, he didn't. This is the, this is the situation he chose to go to. The books did a much, much better job of defending and PJ Tucker was great, but just generally as a team, I think much better awareness. I think Brooke is again doing absolutely everything he can. It's not always going to be good, but he's doing everything he can. And that's all you can ask of from him. But KD was not the same player mentally. You could see his shoulders like slump. His body language was different, his demeanor. And I don't think you're wrong. Like the game was still there that if he really wanted to will the team to it and rally them up and say, come on, you're all coming with me. We're going to, we're going to go and do this. He's Kevin Durant. He could still do that. But it was very, very different. And I think you tweeted something. It might even have been just before Kyrie um, went down injured, tie about KD starting to grift. Yeah. Maybe it was after. Like, that was that was his whole thing. He had won. I think it was in the third quarter where he tried to, to get a foul on a triple. I might have been Bruce Brown was there setting a screen and really he just jumped into Bruce Brown <laughs> flailed on the ground and was like where's my foul like that's the place it got to pretty quickly when I don't think it needed to for him his shots were still going to be there that's the thing and you see it like okay PJ has the incredible block that's called a foul but when you're Kevin Durant and you could shoot like he can everything is like you know Chris Middleton's favorite situation. Imagine if Chris Middleton had KD's size and everyone was smaller and every single time he just looked there, he's like, oh, I could just shoot over everyone. Like that's, that's the thing Durant has going for him. And it was working. He was in rhythm until it kind of just feels like the foot came off the gas. There was understandably kind of air came out of the nets as a team, but I am, I am, very intrigued. My call along is that the nets will crumble if you can test them. This is a much kind of sterner test than I expected because it's not even about what the books are doing just yet. We may be moving closer towards that, but it's about, you know, you're down Harden, you're down Kyrie. Game five is there for the taking. Game five is there for the taking and the books have to lock in on that. I can't see Kyrie playing game five. I wouldn't be surprised if by the time a game six comes around, if we see James Harden again, I know he's back doing some basketball stuff, but I think the phrase Steve Nash used was there's a gap to be bridged. I think they could uh, bridge that gap a little bit quicker than they might like to, depending how things go over the next few days. Yeah. And also let's not, let's not kid ourselves a little bit. A, a lot of the success against Kevin Durant in this game came due to the physicality of the game that the, uh, referee crew was letting uh, slide a little bit. Like I've I've complained about referees a lot in the past in regards to Milwaukee. They were letting them play today, especially against Kevin Durant. Do you think there was anything? I I see that in post game, Steve Nash has drawn attention to PJ Tucker's defense on Durant. 
Such a, a that's a clown comment in my what, yeah. what is PJ well, Tucker doing? It's gamesmanship. Like we know we know what the intent of it is. It's to just get a softer whistle but going back it, to Brooklyn. You're gonna get that anyway. Come on. But did maybe maybe I've just got books glasses on. I couldn't say anything else. I did not feel that was the case. It's not it's I didn't think it was I didn't think not. it was favored one way or the other. I'm just saying the general level of it lended its way towards sure. Milwaukee's favor. No, but I'm like the the quote that PJ is like showing non-basketball kind of. Yeah, that's, that's, what about when when Blake Griffin checked his arm when it was in between the screen, like, which is just, I'm going to try and dislocate your shoulder here. Yeah. Like, forget that. He almost took out Giannis in the air. In the air, right. He also threw Brooke Lopez when Brooke was kind of falling near him. He just like chucked him. I feel like no attention was paid to half of the Blake stuff because there's so much of it. Um, so yeah, to to talk about PJ when Blake is out there doing that stuff is ridiculous, and I think it was incidental. But Joe Harris just absolutely haymakering Pat Connaughton going for a rebound, and Pat just sitting there bleeding profusely, and then coming just back like, into the game. Just he a was just sat moment. there on the floor with his eye bleeding and just looking at the ref saying nothing. Really? Come on, nothing. Well, they didn't even look. That's Pat's iconic books moment. That, like, that, that is that it, really yeah. is. That's. That's the stuff of lore. If this season goes on, one, he, he was really, really great. Like, yes, you yes. just cannot ask for more. Uh, that is in part, it's down to his performance, but I think like we're going to end up talking about Pat. We're going to talk about Tucker. That's down to how you set out as a team to play. And both of those guys reaped the rewards because you were playing inside out and you were passing to the corners over and over again. You want to get PJ Tucker like into a game, not being the invisible man on offense, pass to the corners. And if it's driving kick to the corners, and if Chris is passing as well as Chris passed today, mm. whipping passes to the corner. Like that's not usually something he does. He was even connecting on lobs with Giannis, the kind of passes that he always overthrows. Like if all of that happens. And you start playing that way. Even Giannis did more of it. I could still see more. You could still step in. And instead of being like, okay, well, this is going to be one of my five trees, or this is going to be one of my couple of mid-rangers that were just as bad as the trees, you know, keep going and find those passes to the corners. It was the most purposeful the books have played inside out in a long time, Mm -hmm. partly because Giannis played some five, some actual five too. And that gives you a pack game. That gives you a PJ Tucker game. And it completely just transforms the dynamics that you have with your bench unit, which like the Bucks bench can be nothing. It can be really bad. And we've seen that. But if you want to make it something, I think the key to unlocking it is also something that's going to mesh with your, your best player's skills. And we saw some of that in this game four. Yeah, I thought just playing inside out and just actually moving the ball. I mean, it's. One of those things where obviously it's better when you do that. And we've said a million times, you you just absolutely cannot out ISO the nets, at least when two of the three guys are healthy, because they're just going to be better at that. But the real like other benefit is I just felt like the Bucks had multiple role players actually in the game, which just did not feel like it was the case in games two and three and even game one to an extent like. Pat was involved in making momentum plays. Forbes had a couple nice plays, although not an overall terrific game. Obviously, P.J. Tucker, even Brooke Lopez was hitting some threes that I didn't necessarily love him taking. And Bobby Portis with like 
the most un-Bobby Portis game of like blocks and just getting the crowd amped up. This I is the almost, Bobby Portis I want to see. This is I the guy. I couldn't believe he only got 12 minutes. I thought he was really good despite going 0 I for 3. I can't believe he didn't score. Maybe that's why he only got the 12 minutes. He was 0 for 3. But I thought he had, that was a great Bobby Portis game, really keeping the momentum going at serve early in this one. But I just felt like there were so many guys involved. And like literally in the offense with all the, the assists and the playmaking, but also – just like in the flow of the game. And I just think that's the other benefit. That's why like the Harden Rockets teams always floundered because nobody was in the game except Harden. Like, right. He's just holding the ball and you're standing still in the corner and shooting. I just think it's really hard to win a game that way. And that's pretty much what the Bucks were doing for the better part of two games there in the series. They go away from that and you see instant results. Like there's no chance we could have a Pat Connaughton game like this in the way they played in game three. Like it would just, it's not possible. And you've just described like PJ Tucker's last few years in the NBA there and giving the example. And I'm sure there was part of him in the past few games, which is like, not again, (laughs) like not again. Why is this exactly the same thing that I've been through? Maybe I can make trees. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's definitely a part that I I will say, and I, I would stand by it now. And it's something I think they need to give some consideration to. It won't change, particularly as they've won two now. It won't change. PJ starting is still, you know, going into this game. I wasn't quite sure. And I was like, there's there's a need for offense. Again, there's a need for offense. Right now, you're winning enough on defense. And with Kyrie down, it's more justifiable. And that changes it a little. But there's definitely some good fortune in how that's played out. I don't think it's the right call to have started this starting lineup for four games, but here we are. They're right in the series. And there were some other things too, that I don't know if they were always the right call. For example, they just abandoned having someone in the dunker spot for a pretty large spell. They went five out. And when they went five out, they had what uh, Jeff Van Gundy, not unfairly described as the worst uh, spacing possession he's ever seen in basketball so at any level was... and it really was because at that point you're just being like uh someone it was needs an, it was to a possession the where there was an isolation on the left wing except no one was isolating on the left wing because everyone <laughs> was just on the right side of the floor just at the top of the arc they're like yeah this is going to be a good possession here you could literally throw a blanket over all five books on it like that's <laughs> That's not how you want to play basketball. This, so this was Brooke Lopez gets the ball and four guys stand around him. And Bobby Portis is like sort of cutting to the rim. And Brooke is like trying to go up and under, but not up at all. Just under basically toward the rim. And he throws an awful pass that gets picked off. And I remember the play so vividly. I mean, a lot of people, of course, how could you not react to that? But I remember tweeting like, this is the kind of thing where you cannot have possessions like this against Kevin Durant and the Nets. Like this is the kind of thing that could really cost you the game. Obviously it didn't, but that's what I mean when you said like things to clean up, like there's still a lot of meat on the bone when it comes to empty possessions. I still think the Bucks need to do much better, but I, something you guys kept saying and the game three post game pod between Rohan, just like struggling to just hold <laughs> on was, you know, there, there were, there's a blueprint, right? Like the, the first quarter, I think it was where Giannis was like really good and moving off ball and the Bucks were all involved and they built up that big lead. There's something there. Like, let's capitalize on that and make that more like the whole game and we can see results. And it wasn't the whole game yet, but we did start to see results. 
yeah and the also majority get, of the game get other guys involved is the other thing too right because that's something we kept talking about Ron is that you know it's great playing like that if it's only Anderson and Chris scoring you're still kind of asking for trouble yeah there was just a lot of axillary pieces getting involved which is something that I was hammering the point of last episode you just when things are going in a flow on offense this is what you were getting to Ty it works out better for the other players. That's how you get a Pat Connison involved. That's how you get an Elijah Bryant involved. Was he was involved? Was he involved? I, here's the thing. I, I, thought, he was, I thought he was good. Other than, I thought other he was than fine. the shot that was, you know, really ugly air ball. But that's to be kind of expected. Like, this isn't far off his first NBA minutes. And they're coming in a really important game against the Nets in the second round of the playoffs. I thought he was out there. He looked like he fit in defensively. And I have been saying this. I felt like he's a guy to be a situation where Bud will, you know, he'll turn to him. And you look at the other options. I think it was the right one to go to. He he can hold his own out there defensively. One, he's an adult. He has played professional basketball at a high level for many years. And he just, okay, I've got to go in. I've got to kind of fit to the system. He's a good shooter, too. I don't think that shot shouldn't be something that Bucks fans now have in their mind. If they see him out there again, for whatever reason, if Pat's other eye gets like bust open, <laughs> um, Elijah Bryant can make, some, can make some shots. So I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that at all. I thought he did everything you could ask of him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. So... And I, I don't disagree. It, the, just him checking in multiple times in this game, I, 
I, just, I, I wasn't even mad. Like, I got it. I understood Pat being out, and obviously Dante is out for the playoffs and everything else. But it was just such a surreal thing to, to see him check in. It's oh, better than I thought Teague, it be- though, right? Isn't that oh, the yeah. thing? It's like you're looking at who can you go to defensively, even if you're just talking physically. Like, what have you got on your bench? I think it's you would have kind of come Thanasis. down to Bryant or Bryant. Well, Thanasis has his own role and that's very finely defined and it's working great you know i i like the role i think tanasis likes the role which is also important but i i think for for the pop minutes you're probably thinking elijah or jordan wara and yeah i think the guy who's got years of pro experience and is just and is stronger and is healthy i wonder if if a similar situation comes up if justin jackson ends up getting a shot like he has multiple years of pro experience at the NBA level. I mean, he's not great, but I mean, he's a serviceable <laughs> role player. Let's face. I wish people could see it. Well, it's it's versus Elijah Bryant. I mean, what's wrong with Elijah Bryant? This is we just don't know is, anything about him. Excuse this me. This is non NBA bias. You know, this is he's really good. Do you? I'm not someone. If Jordan Tresky is listening, you know, now we're getting Jordan, into I can't further territory. Jordan is missing. The no, Jordan listens. I know Jordan listens. No, but I mean not here for it. Oh yeah, well, yeah he's he's, he's you know not at home. I think he's on his travels, like you were on your travels. It's really sound a bit husky, Ty. People, what do people <laughs> think of Ty's voice? Um, but yeah, he should be here for what, what could be the Elijah Bryant game. You know, he should be here for that. Like what was I talking about? I've lost my train of thought. Yeah, now. I was. I'm anti NBA or I'm pro NBA yes. biased. And, and what everything. what Jordan would like to hear me saying is, do you not remember Elijah Bryant at Summer League? I don't. Okay, I'm not gonna hold you. I don't. I hate I don't Summer remember. League. Yeah. I think it is. I think it's completely useless. I think it's meaningless. Every now and then, though, you see a guy and you're like. Oh, there's the man amongst the boys. And there's the guy who actually knows how to play. Oh, yeah. That was Elijah Bryant. It's Rashad like Rashad Vaughn. Oh. No, no. God, no. Malcolm Brogdon, like rookie year sort of thing. Elijah Bryant can play. You you know he can play. And he hasn't been playing for kind of small teams around Europe, too. He's been in pretty high stakes games and big competition. I this is how you get like the Mike James of the world, the composos of the world. <laughs> Yeah, this is how you get that good. story. The defense was good. The, it's a it's a well that honestly the books should be going to a whole lot more when you've got no money and you're trying to fill out your roster with quality players. It's like okay, who's in Europe that wants to come to the NBA that we can get? Because yeah, otherwise, no disrespect to Jackson, but you are talking about players like that if you're just going through yeah. the NBA route. I, this is like, I can't believe we've now done. We haven't talked about Giannis or Chris really yet. <laughs> yeah, let's get there. I want to. I want to talk about Chris actually because when you, Brent, the offense was great. And I'm obviously going to talk about that. But when you mentioned bringing KD off, or not KD, bringing PJ Tucker off of the bench, I think the reason I think it might work, and I think Rohan in the last pod you pointed out like. The other options just aren't that great, which may be part of the reason that Tucker is still starting. Forbes has not been a consistently useful shooter. Pat had a great game today, but outside of that in the series has not been, you know, all that useful. So I, I don't necessarily disagree with continuing to start PJ. Certainly not now that you can just hone in on Durant and just dare anyone else to do anything. And for Brooklyn, no one else could do anything. No net outside of KD and Kyrie actually scores more than 10 points, but um, yeah, I think if you were to bench PJ and, and just bring in a different starting five, 
I think the reason you could do it is probably, at least in part, Middleton's terrific defense on Durant. I mean, you want to talk about team turnarounds and outlook turnarounds. And one thing, you know, it's funny to look at, you know, some of the reactions to game two now and laugh about how extreme everyone was. You should be encouraged changing your mind if you get new information. When the Bucks play like crap, we're going to talk about them like they're playing like crap and vice versa. Like this is not a complicated thing, folks. But if you just want to talk about turnarounds, I think Middleton as a whole and especially defensively. I mean, this guy blocked Kevin Durant in this game. I thought he was really good on both ends the entire game. It's probably, I mean, if you look at his box score and Durant's box score, you would think Durant had a much better game. And obviously the scoring output is pretty much always going to be there more for Durant than Middleton. I thought Chris was way better on both ends than Kevin Durant was in this game. And really like when the game, I won't say got tenuous, but could have been tenuous there in the second half. The reason it never got there all the way is because of Chris. Look at the Kevin Durant shot he made to finish the third quarter too. Sorry, Rohan. Your Lex Luthor moment. Yes. <laughs> I guess. So we've been talking about Kevin Durant in this series. Like he's God mm-hmm. in this series. Oh my goodness. Chris Middleton, PJ Tucker, Giannis, the Bucks. They made God bleed. <laughs> Are they really God? I I somehow want to work this into a Pat Connaughton thing. I was about to say the only person I saw believe was Pat Connaughton. So <laughs> not actually, it's a metaphor. Whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying one one person on the court actually bled, and you know, was he godlike? I don't know. That's I will I'll let others decide. It Can't is, believe you guys I, just swept that under the rug. I, it was it was good, Rohan. <laughs> it was good. I think it's a fair point. Like Durant has not been nearly as good over these last two games as you would expect, and I think it's easy to say. You know, game three, just a bad shooting game. It happens to everyone. In this game, I, I mean, again, I think the box score is going to lie a little bit. He also, this is, I think, the most free throws by far he's drawn in the game. So there, I think a lot of it was just frustration and and pure just being pissed off at the situation he's found himself in. There could be some gamesmanship, though, because KD really was not getting to the foul line that much, games one through three. He gets there 10 times and makes nine of them. But 28 points for Durant on nine for 25 shooting one for eight from three. One of the weird things about this series is like neither team is really hitting threes, which I certainly didn't expect going into this thing. But uh, five turnovers, five assists, team low minus 23. And it's just like, I think that tells the story a little bit. Like Durant, for his standards, certainly was not all that good. And Middleton was just phenomenal. Um, it didn't literally bleed, but metaphorically did bleed a little bit. <laughs> I just, I can't. I had, that was such a beautiful moment. You guys just ruined it, but it's, fine. I, re- I ruined the first because I stepped on it and then it came back and then yeah, Pat bled. I mean, <laughs> what? It's really on you. I mean, not the time for it. You could have worked it a different way. Anyway, uh, has Katie ever been in this position? Uh, like all on his own? Yeah, never. Yes, he won MVP that year. Yeah, it depends how you would. I mean, Westbrook. I think he'd he'd like Westbrook on his team right now. Oh if, yeah, I mean, right, if like, Kyrie yeah, and Harden yeah. are going to be out for the rest of the series, I think Katie would be very happy to have Russ suit up beside him sometime soon. Uh, I mightn't be entirely unhappy about that either. But <laughs> this is this is a different spot for him. And even if we are to make a case that yeah, he's seen something like it, 
it's back in the OKC days and it's quite a bit back in the OKC days. But even then, like if you go back early, well, he had Harden as a sixth man. Might not be Harden now, but a really, really good player. Uh, this is a this is a spot that's a really big deal, and it, it is exactly the spot that he's tried to avoid his entire career with every decision he's made. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, all this, all that still slander Giannis got after Game Two. I feel like KD suddenly can maybe relate to him a little bit. They're not not really getting any help out there, and obviously the Bucks had a better cast then than KD does right now. But just the fact of like. You're just not getting any assistance, and and that's that was the case for Giannis, and obviously he wasn't that good either. But certainly now for Durant, like this game, there was. I mean, Bruce Brown tried his best, which is always what Bruce Brown does. But when Bruce Brown is like the guy you're talking about next after KD, that's probably going to be an issue. Yeah, it's it's a good point that he's never really done something like this before, and certainly, I mean, you can quabble about the OKC teams and if he's done it he certainly doesn't want to do it I mean that's obvious mm. and it, it probably a lot like I, I don't know how many players would but I mean like the the dames of the world had pretty much knowingly sign up for something like this I mean it's, there are a lot of players Giannis yeah <laughs> um you know Durant has not and you can argue if is it smart to get championships and legacy blah 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 I don't want to go down that rabbit hole but the fact of the matter is suddenly from two stars to one star to him and, you know, wash stars and role players and everything else. It's an interesting situation. I'm going to be fascinated to see how the Nets come out of the gate in game five, assuming Harden and Kyrie are both out. Because I do feel like it's kind of a sneakily big moment for Durant as a net. Like this is the first real test as a net and, I don't know. I mean, it's not saying he has to win the game by himself or anything, but it's just going to be interesting. I think uh, Sam Anderson had a great uh, tidbit in his uh, fantastic feature for the New York Times that everyone should check out uh, on Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets, where he was talking about KD as sort of like a a guy who's like, oh, can he be like a Westbrook type player? Can he be a Damian Lillard type player? Like, I will take all the shots. And he said he probably can do that. And like coaches around him were giving this information as well. It's like he could do that, but it's not maximizing his talents. This was in KD's words saying like, I can't really be on the defensive end as engaged and uh, playing off the ball, coming off screens, being a threat off that when I'm the one taking all the shots. So that feeds into the mentality as well, that he doesn't believe that he can really maximize his talent as a player if he's just being like every single possession I have the ball and I'm doing something. There's kind of an interesting contradiction in that, though. It points to a selfishness in trying to be unselfish. Because right now, for example, KD cannot think about how he maximizes himself as a player. It needs to be how do we maximize you know, what, what we can get out of this as a team? How do we maximize every point we can get in these games? Um, what can we do? Like, it, There's just this isn't an optimal situation. So I think something as kind of idealistic as that idea of, you know, Oh, the best version of me is going to do this. That's going to have to go away. And it is, it's really interesting because he has, he's been in the opposite spot. Like think of the warriors and all the talk was, you know, he had to adjust to his role and it was so easy for him because really it's, it's the kind of role he's always wanted for all of his talent 
that's where he feels most comfortable and it's really where he can do most damage you know it's it's not a real surprise that he's so much more effective with other quality players around him it goes for every player but i think his style of play means it's kind of magnified even further for him but i mean i t- think you're right i and that it's it's going to be good to look at and fascinating to see how the nets come out in game five but this series may hinge now on how the books come out in game five if the books start game five fast this could be it you know um this could be reverse raptors that's that's kind of the spot that the series is now like it is on this kind of very finely balanced point where if the books strike first and in a, a really notable way and the nets are down tools have maybe downing tools as well to start game five, you know, coming back to Pfizer Farm. Books also really good at home, looking really good. The crowd was great Ooh, at Pfizer really Farm good. today. It's really good. And if they do somehow advance beyond this series, I think there's something to be said there for just how good the books are looking at home. But, you know, if the books can have a first quarter like they had in game three, um, where they can dominate the nets on both ends and then maybe just follow it up with nothing that happened over the rest of game three. Game two. Oh, no, game no, three. Sorry. No, game, game three. three. Game three, my bad. Um, nothing from game two at all. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> right. Then, then this is a very interesting conversation we're going to be having. So, uh, and just, I found a wild stat while digging through KD stuff. Cause I was wondering why he didn't go to the rim more. Cause that's all. And I, I don't know, such a jump shooter, but you know, that I think is always, and I've said this on the pod, I think the game two pod, like you just, you have to get to the rim to start a run. You just need to get to the rim. He went to the rim six times. One made layup, one made dunk. Kevin Durant was blocked in the paint four times by the bucks in this game. Do you know the bucks who blocked him? Ooh, yes. Pa- Pat got one, I think. Pat got two. Okay. Pat counted in twice. Chris Middleton, Bobby Portis blocked Kevin Durant in the paint. Like, just wild that this seven-foot unicorn scorer, and he is that. I'm not saying this in a sarcastic way. He literally is that thing. Gets blocked four times, twice by Pat, once by Bobby Portis, known for everything but defense, and once by Middleton, who that, that one's a little less surprising, but... Um, yeah, Kevin Durant, two for six around the rim in this game, four times blocked is kind of the, what you'd expect to happen going at Kevin Durant at the rim, not Kevin Durant's life around the rim. Can I say something else about Pat? Because I I think this is the most athletic game I've ever seen from Pat. His off-ball defense. I, I don't just mean like in a... Look, we've all seen him. It goes into dunk contest. We know he can jump. We know he can dunk. But I mean just in terms of being like a cornerback Uh, and just his anticipation his ability to read like all those KD passes and every time a ball broke loose it just seemed like oh Pat's in the right place to scoop it up today that's a big big deal like just he had four steals four (laughs) steals and two blocks it's like if Pat looked like an actual interception like yes. he caught the like, yes. back footed. It was beautiful. It was similar to the play that Mike James made in game three, where he just sort of read a crisp double and sort of read that pass to the corner. Pat did that, except it was a lob pass from a seven footer. <laughs> 
my favorite play of the game i'll forgive about if you don't remember this but the moment it happened i was like this is the, my favorite play of the game i don't care what else happens from here so in the second quarter not very tidy nets offense katie might have been off the floor at the time i think it was probably just before Kyrie went down the ball kind of broke to blake griffin right around kind of we'll say left wing right around the three-point line left wing and the floor was open he basically had a clear out and he saw pat Connaughton behind them and blake was like oh great i'm just gonna back this guy down and get an easy two points and he was just he was backing and backing and he got (laughs) nowhere eventually he got himself close enough to put up kind of a hook missed the shot and i was like now we're seeing Pat in the role where he can actually contribute, which is something that's come before. It's like, can he? Can you get him in a spot where he's defending a four? You know, in this series, there's probably times he can defend the five because again, that's where his athleticism can really work. People look at him, they're like, oh, he's you know, average sized wing. What's the big deal here? But try to move him, and the guy is strong. This is you know. Giannis's weight room partner for a reason. There, there aren't probably many stronger players on the books than Pat. So I thought that was a really interesting play in terms of one, something the books could look to do some more of defensively. And particularly if we're going to see more lineups where Brooke isn't on the floor and Giannis would be the five or PJ's mm-hmm. the five, you know, you're switching possibilities. There's nothing to be afraid of if Pat's capable of, you know, holding up against Blake Griffin backing him down like that. But I just thought that was a moment where it's like, oh, this is the game where like everything is falling into place for the Bucks role players. And that was a lot of fun to see. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you talk about Pat with, with Giannis at the five. I think in that situation, suddenly you don't even have to not worry about him switching on to Blake. He might just start on Blake from time to time. Like mm-hmm. if, if it's Giannis and PJ are out there, those are not like there's no one you need to hide on a slow guy. I mean, Pat is the guy basically, but like there's no there's no center you need to hide. Like Giannis has proven he's up to the task of taking on perimeter players all the time, and obviously Tucker has shown that beyond a doubt. So I think yeah, Pat's role starting to crystallize a little bit as the Bucks move to these Giannis at center alignments. Just the full Pat counted in line, eight points, two for five shooting, all from deep, two for two from free throw, which is very rare for the Bucks. Two rebounds, one offensive, three assists, four steals, two blocks, one turnover, one foul, plus 23. The only bench player besides Elijah Bryant with a positive plus minus, and it was like overwhelmingly positive. It's time for Pat to declare for the Irish national team. He's hinted at it before. <laughs> then he got called up to some like select squad for, uh, I hope that didn't turn his head. It was only the select squad, Pat. It doesn't mean anything. It's time <laughs> to come home, Pat. Uh, we will embrace you by we, I mean me and maybe five, six other people, <laughs> but he'll be a star. Yeah. I mean, anything, but uh, no more bucks on team USA is, is all I'm going to say. Um, let's talk about Giannis. I think it's probably about time and really probably should finish up talking about Chris. We talked about his defense and then kind of got sidetracked on Durant. Chris's offense. And I think Adam, you made this point uh, on Twitter and on the pod already, the passing, Middleton with eight assists. This felt to me like an early season Middleton game. Like this year, he was finishing around the rim and he was passing much better. And I have no idea why, 
but it just kind of, we went away from that. We didn't see it anymore. I think part of it maybe was Drew coming on and taking on more responsibility. Part of it was just Chris's nature of drifting in and out frustratingly. But eight assists for him, it felt like an eight assist game for him. He was making every pass. And when he's racking up the assists like that, makes it a lot easier to live with only 15 attempted shots. Seven for 15 from Chris. His offensive impact, though, certainly feels a lot bigger than 19 points on 15 shots. Rohan, what were your thoughts on the Chris Middleton experience tonight? Which is like, that that question on any given night could elicit such a wildly different response. This is That's probably the most polarizing question you can ask <laughs> in terms of box discussions in I general. I think it's up there. Um, I think the Chris Middleton experience tonight can be uh, summed up in a play that was, I think, early second quarter Whereas a Chris Giannis pick and roll, Joe Harris crashing in the corner, quick swing pass, PJ Tucker, wide open corner three. That That is perfect Chris Middleton right there because he has the threat of the pull-up jumper that the Nets have to respect. Giannis is obviously getting his due respect and he's making the correct reads. He's not necessarily taking a contested jumper that he probably can make and has made plenty of times. No, he's getting the hot hand, PJ Tucker, a wide open corner three because he made the perfect read right away. There was no hesitation. We've talked a lot about Chris Middleton in terms of hesitancy and just this entire Bucks team. Nothing is really like on the nose passing like, okay, this this guy's here, this guy's here. Let's boom, boom, pass the ball, open shot. We saw that a little bit in this game, which is probably the closest we're going to see to a great uh, Bucks offense, at least so far in this series, because everyone is just on the same page and Chris Middleton was the captain of that. My only gripe with Middleton the last two games, where I, I think he's been really, really good, but he was the book's best player, I, I feel like, in game three. Um, stop going under on Joe Harris. Oh, yeah. <laughs> stop going under. That's that's the one thing. They've been, getting lucky. I just, They've been getting lucky with that. Well, he got he got burned at least twice and once early when the yeah. Nets kind of rolled out to an 11-point lead, wasn't it? it was They got out to one of those was just... You know, you could see the time for Middleton to think about it. You could see him weigh it up in his mind and be like, yeah, I'm going under this screen. I was like, why? <laughs> so it's playing with fire. I know you had an atrocious game three, Harris, and wasn't that much better in game four. But that's not I agree. It's not one. You don't want to test that. I don't think it's a tough spot for him because all of the things that make him such a deadly weapon are just rapidly falling away. At this rate, he is going to be the net superstar by the end of game five. <laughs> And he's going to be trying to figure out how to create his shots. We're going to see a lot more of him testing out that improved, you know, driving yeah. game, which has been approved for many years. I will, I will stick to, but um, yeah, that's, it's something still, they're the guys that particularly with the nets down, the players are down. You just can't invite those players to get hot. And all of a sudden 25 point Joe Harris game that you have to worry about because well, hey, the books scored more than 86 points. Great. They got over 100 points. Fantastic. They're still not scoring at a level that they have margin for error with any of these role players. And that's something they just have to be very careful about. Those kind of moments, particularly early in a game, you don't want someone with like a fast 12 points. Yeah. And I, think- I just realized, I'm sorry, Ty. I don't want to oh. cut you off here. I just realized something. Adam, do you remember at the end of the game three pod, I asked for score predictions and I said it was going to be a palindrome? Came true. 107, 86, 86, 107. I don't get it. This was 96. Yeah. No, for the Bucks score. 
Oh, they scored 107 oh. in game one. Yeah. Oh wow. my goodness. The series is so I actually called weird. the box score. That is this definitely series... the Rowan moment that everyone's got to remember from the game tree pod. <laughs> yeah. The palindrome call. <laughs> For uh, years to come, people remember that game tree pod where Rohan and then someone will be, yes, he predicted the palindrome. <laughs> okay, come on. That's a little impressive. It's, it's a good prediction. It's, it's a good, good, it's a good, it's a good prediction. Okay, cool. Sorry. Ty, oh, no, it's good. It's, um, very, this is the weirdest series uh, I can remember in quite some time, and not just because of the injuries, but the thing with Chris, I think Rohan, you hit on it well. It's just like he just needs to be decisive, and I think uh, probably his worst play of the game outside of letting Joe Harris go. And I remember that play early. Joe Harris only had two makes; they might have both been on just Chris going under. But he let Kyrie pick his pocket, like just taking way too long to dribble and and think about what he wanted to do, and really just he wasn't going anywhere. Like he was just kind of standing at the top of the arc, dribbling, like not making a move to step back or drive. Just kind of chilling there. And that's like, he just can't. Like, Middleton just needs to be decisive. Like, he does not have the handle to sit there and dance around all day. Like, go for whatever you're going to go for. Just do it. And I think the highlights, the best moments of him in this game, that's exactly what was happening. He's dribbling to his spot and shooting. He's, you know, taking advantage of a hard closeout and finding a wide open PJ Tucker, stuff like that. And I just think he needs to be more decisive whenever possible. And obviously he was for a lot of this game, but that one moment just was kind of encapsulated. Like can't just sit around like that's that kills the bucks. My least favorite bucks play. My new least favorite bucks play is when it's either like a failed pick and roll because Giannis doesn't really roll or did they just enter it in, into the post to Giannis? He's got the ball in the elbow. He dribbles a little bit, stops, throws it out, runs out, grabs it, and like takes his time to get right back to where he was in the first place before missing a fadeaway. I hate it so much. And it's the same idea of like, be decisive. Like don't take all this time to reset the play and just to do the same thing that wasn't working. Just be decisive and do something. It's not always going to work, but I think the whole team could take a, a note from Thanasis who for whatever word you want to use to describe him, there's some negative ones. Decisive certainly fits in though. I've got something I want to say about Thanasis because I just was reminded of it by a picture I saw on Twitter just a moment ago. But to your point about that particular habit the books are falling into on offense, you were on my movie podcast, Caption Cellulite, a while back, Ty. Quite a while back now, probably over a year ago. And we did a best basketball. Or were you on that one or the baseball one? I did, you were I did on the basketball. basketball. I did basketball. Right. Remember when we talked about the scene in semi-pro where Will Ferrell, yes. Jackie Moon just keeps reposting. It's <laughs> yes. like, no, give it to me again. That's Giannis. That is Giannis. Really? Where Giannis, <laughs> you dribble in, dribble in, and he's like, no, take it back. And he comes back out and then he comes in again. It's just, it's that's Giannis's version of that. It's very, very frustrating to watch. I mean, maybe it's slightly better than when he just takes an early shot clock tree because at least giving himself the second chance, he could make a pass. Something good could happen. But yeah, it's a tough one to watch. But Tanasis, we need to mention Tanasis getting absolutely crossed out of his shoes by Kyrie. Stepped on his shoe. Only half okay. counts. He stepped on his but, shoe. But yes. I, don't, I don't care about that. I don't care about any of that. He recovered to contest yeah. the shot. The shot was missed, which is the most Tanasis thing. The fact he was able to recover. Like I saw someone had a great... Uh, meme of Velma from Scooby Doo on the ground with her glasses <laughs> having fallen off, and Tanasa side by side is identical. And the fact that he went from that to by the time that Kyrie 
kind of gathered the ball back and went to start a shoot, shooting motion, being in his face contesting that shot is incredible. Thanasis is amazing. It's just everything is like 200 miles per hour, as was pointed out in the broadcast. That includes like he gets a call to come into the game and he just like sprints in. Then he's in for 20 seconds. Uh, the Nets don't score to finish the first half and he just goes sprinting again. He's sprinting and screaming down the tunnel. And he's just like, yeah, everyone's looking at him. Giannis is like, what is he doing? Like, it's incredible. I've now, I've come to realize that there's two approaches to Thanasis. There's people who get it, who have refined taste and appreciate Thanasis. And there's people who are ignorant. Like those are the only two options. Like you see the tweets about Thanasis focusing on him on the ground and ignoring the fact that he does get up to contest the shot successfully. It's like when you see someone interacting with like drill on Twitter, thinking it's a real account, like you just don't get it. It's not that you're, you're not funny. You're not smart. You just don't understand. You're not in it with the rest of us. So either you understand the Nasus or you don't. And, and if there's some people who don't, that's fine. Some people probably don't find drill. Funny. Listen to the podcast, listen to the podcast and you'll, you'll figure it out. But it's like, it's like that. There's just, there's a level of understanding you just need to achieve to really enjoy the Thanasis game. It's well, an acquired the question this summer is Thanasis free agency, right? We're all in agreement. It's going to be big. I'm going to hit the might have seen the Pat special. <laughs> oh, they might, they might have some competition. The Lakers, they, they could use whoever Mark Jackson, Mark Jackson said he could play on any of my teams <laughs> and I'm not putting the pass that Mark Jackson could have a team next season. So who knows what could happen? Shanghai okay, we, we're we're dancing around the the main event long enough here. Yeah, let's talk about Giannis. Yeah. <laughs> so Giannis, for the third time in four games this series, outscores Kevin Durant oh, in this series. There's a uh, that's there's a fun little nugget right there. He also uh, has more restricted area field goals than KD has field goals in general made wow. in the game. Uh, Giannis, best player on the court tonight, and it was not close. Yeah, I mean, I think... It's I think so Chris was close-ish. You're it's, right, it's but I, so, I think it's so, Chris yeah. had a good game. It's frustrating because, like, 66% of his possessions, yes, and then 34%, you're just like, why are you doing this? Like, the Giannis experience has just been so interesting. Obviously, the positives far outweigh the negatives. Like, I'm not making that case with Giannis or anything even close to it. But there are just still – like when you talk about meat on the bone for the Bucks offensively, it's like one very stupid Brook Lopez possession per game that should never happen. And then like Pat will ball handle or Forbes will – Forbes tries to take KD off the dribble. So there's like two or three things like that. And then there's like 12 Giannis possessions that are like posting up indiscriminately or shooting a three for no reason or shooting a fadeaway with 18 seconds left. So I agree – he was tremendous in this game. I think the great Giannis was on display. I just need it tightened up more before I can really bask and like, oh my God, the great Giannis is here. Cause there's just too, there's too many possessions where it's just like, that is not helping. Like that's not helping the team win tonight or today. I hate day games, but you know, again, I don't want to completely cover up. I mean, 34, 12, three assists, 
five turnovers, four fouls, but a plus 29. He dominates the, the nets. He's finally finding seams. Go figure. When the Bucks start to pass out to the perimeter and get other players involved, suddenly it becomes much easier for Giannis to get to the rim. Who could have seen that coming? But I do, I just, I want to see it a little tighter. Like He also, I, he did clean it up a bit this game. Instead of, t- like, he still took five threes, one of five from three. Positive. But a lot, of, less a than lot of times, yes, it's less than eight. That is a positive development. There was also a couple of possessions where he did what he's done all season when he has, like, lots of space. A lot of times it's Blake Griffin playing him like that because, you know, he can just grift himself into a jar. George just hurt him. Uh, different conversation. Oh, wait, we already we had that yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of things what Giannis is doing, or a lot of times, I should say, is when he has that much space, it's immediately flowing into a pick and roll with him as the screener to eat away at that space. We have not seen that enough from Giannis in these last three games, actually, and even not as much as we probably should have this game, but we started to see it more and more. So I agree with you. It does need to get tighter, but it's on its way, and it's definitely more improved than it was previously. You made a And point. he was still fantastic. Yes. He was. He was really good. Like, there's only a few things a few we'll say maybe three elements of his game just say that the shots you could add like four or five shots that you'd want back probably six shots i could think of that i'd want back but that's fine like he's gonna take a lot of shots he's your best player it's just some of those are so so bad i mean one of the things that you drew attention to on a different point a few minutes ago ty is when he's a screener at a pick and roll and he doesn't he doesn't roll yeah, and it just happens too often. I don't know what the idea behind that is because he ends up standing there, just crowding like generally Chris's space, and it's like this is doing nothing. You know, just roll to take a man away if nothing else. But it's like set the screen. I'm just gonna kind of stand here now. It's like no, because he was setting some really good purposeful screens and rolling too and getting great results. I just don't know why there's not more of that every time. It's not even like he's kind of fading. I mean, no one's going to respect that because they want him to take a shot, but he, it would, that would still get him out of the way. He just kind of sets a lot of screens and then dies in the ball yeah. handler's way, which is weird. I, I don't know why that seems to be something he's doing more and more often. Setting good screens at the moment, so when you set it, then move. You know, um, Roll would be ideal, but if it's not going to be a roll, well, you know, Fade go, sometimes go it's just better than standing there. Yes, you don't exactly. have to go home, but you can't stay here. Sometimes I wonder if they're just like they just want to switch, but they don't want to like work that hard to get it. And it's just like let's just do a switch and ISO. Let's not work too hard on this possession. Let's. I don't want to exert too much energy here. It, it's just yeah, it is. And again, we're talking all the negatives. Giannis was fantastic. I thought defensively he was quite good. Offensively he was finding space. I mean, still of course getting hosed on some calls as always. But I did think he was finding gaps a little bit better between players. I think trying to go through guys a little bit less and going around a little bit more and kind of almost like a realization that like, oh, there's not really that much help coming from anywhere else because nobody on this team except the guy guarding me is ever really locked in on the defensive end. So if I go around him a little bit, there's not anyone really coming to swat the look all that often unless Claxton's out there somewhere else as well. So I, I did think it was certainly a lot of progress both in, you know, getting him rolling in better looks and him utilizing the ISO touches a little bit better would still like to see less of them. But as you said, it's not like he's only going to take Deandre Jordan shots. I mean, the guy is a superstar. 
one other issue that I think we've kind of accepted as, and he's possibly accepted too, as just it's part of his game. It's going to come, which is offensive fouls. Like he's he's a lock for at least three most games as a matter of regular season playoffs. That was a big challenge by Bud, and I love that challenge coming early. And I think I just do that every game. You know, first half, Giannis offensive foul. You know, whether it's like that one, one that you could be pretty confident you're going to win or otherwise, I think the Bucks need to make a really conscious effort to just kind of sow doubt in the mind of officials. He gets called for offensive fouls too often. I think that is pretty straightforward. Some of them are correct calls, but there are some of them that aren't. I think the Bucks need to keep working on that. And I don't really know if there's much better use because... Let's be honest, Giannis is always going to be in the two tree foul territory in the first half because he's very likely to have a couple of offensive fouls in there. I think it's something that if I was Bud, I would continue to think of, okay, well, that is maybe my best use of it. And it's just good to see, just good to see the challenge used early for something that you know actually affect the game and it's there it's a winnable challenge rather than holding it holding it we might need it late on and then you know it just ends up going unused for the game that was a big moment and one of the kind of all-time momentum swing challenges that's probably played out since challenges came into effect in the nba it's a three-point swing as well it turned Mm -hmm. into an and one yeah yeah i think that is i also would like to see that as part of the thinking the thought process on the challenges, like especially if there's clearly a made basket as part of it, because then you do, you literally, it, it gives you two points and like in 40 to 60% chance at another one on some of these, but at least two <laughs> points uh, as a result if, if you win the challenge. Rohan, I feel like, I feel like you think I'm underappreciating this Giannis game. What, what am I, what am I missing here from the Giannis performance or what am I overlooking? Well, I mean, it's it's not just you in general. I think it's just like the general discourse around Giannis. I don't want to just completely bait you out here. I did that last episode, but it's just... <laughs> You'll only uh, do that when you're not here to defend yeah, yourself. Exactly. Hey, I'll take the shots when I take them. Um, like Giannis. Uh, <laughs> but it's just the general thought around Giannis is what he can do better rather than what he's already dominating at. And I think that's just, that's just a mental thing that a lot, I think a lot of people need to realize is that sure. He, he has a lot of areas to improve. We've detailed them. We will continue to detail him, but he's dominating in the playoffs against the title favorites. And that should be appreciated and not be overlooked. That's all I wanted to say. My, my only counter that, like, I don't I don't disagree that he's incredible. He's dominating. He could make a couple of small adjustments, just mentality adjustments, and his team would dominate. Like it's there for him not just to be, you know, two-time MVP, great individual player. It's there for him right now to just tweak his, you know, it's it's not like we're having the conversation about if he could make the shots. We're just like, just don't take them. Just don't take them. Like if it's two a game, fine. That will work. You could make both of them, but just don't, particularly when you're missing them and you could see how desperately the nets are. Like that's that's the great example. I think why people focus on it is like Giannis can dominate this series on an individual level, his own numbers could be great, and the books could go home. Where if he just makes a slight adjustment, he'll still dominate individually. His stats will be probably even better. And the books could be in the conference finals and the books go to the finals. And this season could finish with Giannis, you know, not having won an MVP, but he could have a 
Larry O'Brien trophy in one hand, a finals MVP in the other hand. Uh, I, I just think it's really, we're at that point where, yes, he is at the level where these are the margins. You know, if you get these things wrong, you're going to fall short in spite of the greatness. Where if you can make these changes, well, the books could just go and win it all. And it doesn't matter who they're playing. A team as great as the Nets can be. Uh, a team as, you know, who, who are we going with? Are we saying the Hawks could be conference final opponents for who advances from this series? Is this... I, I, I don't personally feel that way, but I feel like the Eurostep official line <laughs> is that the Hawks are coming out of the other side of the bracket. I'm just trying to set up the Mike Budenholzer revenge tour, that's all. And Antique. Antique. Listen, I'd love a box. Box <laughs> conference final is like the stuff of my dreams. It's actually, it's beyond my dreams. That just sounds completely impossible. But Bucks need um, to do it for the legend Carlos Delfino, who shined in the last <laughs> box playoff series. That's that's my counters that Ron is. I think it's it's just about like we know he's a two time MVP, so it is past the point of tipping your hat to him for when he's great in a series. No matter who he's against, it's like can he be great in a series and can he also make the plays that gets his team to the next level? And it's it's not new either. Like I don't I don't feel any kind of way about Giannis maybe getting some extra scrutiny or some extra criticism because this is what happened to LeBron. So LeBron won a championship, you know? It's just part and parcel, particularly for a player at that position of that size with the kind of skill set that's there. It's a different conversation than if he was a guard even. So I can say, yeah, I get it. You're right. You're, he's been really good, and particularly in this game, he was great. But I get it. A couple of little tweaks, and he could be entering a new stratosphere where he's not only that player, but he's also the guy who can get his team to win. Completely fair. Completely fair. And I, I can't say I really disagree with you there. I just, I don't want the entirety of the discourse right. to be around what he can improve. Um, but yeah, I want to appreciate just- PJ Tucker. Yes, perfect. Mm-hmm. That's where I wanted to go as well. PJ Tucker actually scores today. Uh, 13 points. He was hitting shots for the first time. It seemed like he has in a Bucks uniform. Uh, it was incredible. He was hitting his corner threes, three of six from the three of six from deep, actually hit some layups while also playing insane, insane defense on Kevin Durant and just in general. My goodness, it was the PJ Tucker game. It really was. He even got KD to bite on a fake and then took him off the dribble and, you know, lay in a nice off floater the off the glass. My my favorite PJ moment was his angry um, sit down with the basketball half court. That was just <laughs> incredible. Uh, I need to go back and, you know, take screenshots of that for future meme purposes. But when he's just <laughs> sitting down, the ball staring at it, he, he's shooting really well as well. He just happened to miss one. It wasn't like the Bobby Portis missed from the same corner. So no need to get that angry, but he's just having it out with the ball. It was great. I was like, yes. And that's after is... a nearly, or sorry, justly turned 36-year-old PJ Tucker was on the ground fighting for the basketball. That's how he got that play to make that sort of moment happen. So my thing with the Tucker game today was the defense leveling up from what it was earlier in the series is huge. I think obviously one of those moments where you just go, oh yeah, this is why you go and make that trade at the middle of the season. This is literally precisely what that was for. 
For me, I think the offense is, and I'm not saying you were doing this, Rohan. I do think this is how some people view it. It's for me, it's not like, oh, you had 13 points. That's cute. You can't expect that. He doesn't always have to have 13. I do think if he's a guy who scores two in like 30 minutes every time, actually, I think that is an issue. I may be against the Nets with like no players. That doesn't matter as much, but I like this is the same thing. And I'm not comparing them necessarily as defenders currently, but like this kills the Warriors with Draymond. They're the line for him, the, the line, the magic number, I think it's like eight. When he scores eight points this year, the Warriors were really good. And he didn't get there nearly often enough, clearly, for this to be a thing. And when he didn't, they struggled. And there is, especially in the modern NBA, I think there is just a line where it almost doesn't matter how great you are defensively. If you're giving nothing on offense, nothing, just not contributing, you're going to be like neutral at best. And it's going to be hard for your team to consistently win games. And I'm not saying PJ is like a, a terrible offensive player, but I do think utilizing him solely all if he if he only takes two corner threes a game no other shots and plays wing defense i think he's more likely to look like he looked in the first two games of the series because a he's not involved he's not feeling as good and i think the team is going to look worse because it's just hard to win if there's guys on offense you can just ignore and and lopez will have his games where he's like that it's probably why it's big that Giannis at center is becoming a much more viable thing more quickly than we anticipated but like i think pj scoring four points within the arc two for two on shooting there is actually huge. I think he needs to do more of that. Like the Bruce Brown kind of shots where he can cut in and find himself unguarded, like 12 feet from the rim, shoot that, like do something offensively. And again, I'm not saying it's incapable, but I do think sometimes his role on the team is minimized too much offensively. You you can't have a guy play 30 minutes and score like four points consistently. I just don't think it's a recipe for success. So I thought it was great that he made a couple threes, thought it was even better that he found other ways to contribute on offense as well. The Nets started this game just not guarding him. Yeah. Like they were viewing it as, okay, this is four and five. Cool. (laughs) You know, Peter Tucker's out there. We don't have to worry about him. And then that changed. And that may change the dynamics of the series for that starting lineup too. That might be where what was a problem before, you know, even if PJ Tucker doesn't have another game like this, you might get a couple of games out of it where, you're not having someone else just being double teams because he's on the floor and the Nets don't care. Like, so that is, that's to your point. And there's ways with even different players. Like we've seen this before. Tony Snell is a good example of a guy who gave the books really good minutes. And even you look at his skill set and you're like, Oh, you know, he's a good spot up shooter, you know, or just get him, get him in the corner, get the ball to him. And Tony Snell can knock down shots. And then it'd be the nights where they don't get the ball to Tony Snell in the corner and he does nothing and he puts up the, the line full of zeros. And we all loved Snell and Snell has value and Snell had a great season. Um, honestly, he's a player that I would like some point down the line. I think there's a role player, role player fit firm with the books. It's different to what he used to have um, that would work out really nicely. But it was true then, it's true now that you just can't have a guy out there that isn't going to do anything and that if it doesn't just kind of break for him is an, a zero on offense. It just does not work. Oh, I thought, I thought you had a thought, Rohan. You looked like you were digesting something. No, he was no. deep, no. deep in top, but it's not one he wants to share yet. You That's know, give right. it a few yeah. minutes and he'll come out with five stats that he's I'm not, honestly, cooking. I was thinking of Tony Snell and every time he tried to dunk on someone, like, <laughs> I was that, also those, thinking, those oh, highlights, were, that. Yeah. Those highlights are flowing through my mind right now. So that's <laughs> flowing through your mind. Um, 
No, I, but I, I do think, like, yeah, Tucker just needs to be, and you mentioned it could change the series, could change the whole postseason for the Bucks if they're able to unlock a little bit more of him offensively and just if they can get past Brooklyn, which certainly is not a done deal, you know, maybe this is the starting lineup you just go with. If, if Tucker can be something offensively, doesn't have to put up 15 a game or even 13 a game or even 10 a game, just has to be a threat, right? The, the implication, there has to be an implication. He's going to do something. I think if there's not, that's when you can get in dangerous territory. And that's where we were at the first couple of games of the series. So hopefully this is not just, you know, the variance PJ Tucker game. Hopefully it's at least hinting that the Bucks are, are trying to make teams pay a little bit more if they're just going to completely ignore the guy. I mean, it's a positive regression as well. That too. So, that too. Like, but I, I just think it, it has, has to get to more it. than two shots a game. I think that's a yes, yes, that is completely fair. He just needs to get more involved in general. I think that's the general point you're trying to get it get across here. The more involved PJ Tucker is on the offensive end, the more of a threat he becomes for the rest of the starting lineup to also flourish from that. Precisely. The the other thing just that we have mentioned is a very weird thing happened for Tucker coming into this game, which was he was the story. Like he was at the center of the narrative coming into this game. And, you know, he's the big winner. He had the better game. Uh, was KD shook by not having his personal security there for him in Milwaukee for game four? I don't know. His second half, he may be looking over his shoulder being like, where's my guy? <laughs> like that's, he played a little like that. But that's with PJ having been through all of that and look, it's not a surprise. Everyone knows what kind of player he is. If you've watched the NBA and watch him play over the years, but it's like, he didn't back down from that then. And he was the one who was energized by that in a positive way, as opposed to Durant. And Durant will have had to have conversations in recent days about his personal security guy storming a court and pushing an opposing player. Like that's not something that just won't have come up. And uh, KD won't have had to think about between games. So big, big wins game three and game four for PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker as the primary defender on Kevin Durant in this game. Nine points, 25% from the field for KD. Listen, it that's felt with like the it officials too. helping KD out too. Yep. Sure is. It felt like it too. This was really good stuff from PJ. You can't expect this night in and night out, of course, but series altering game from pj tucker and again i guess kind of goes without saying could be postseason altering too obviously kind of goes hand in hand adam what what else should, do we need to cover from this game what have we not touched on yet? I, I think bud is the only thing that maybe we we haven't quite Ooh, i have one more thing is your one more it. thing drew yes yeah we should talk about drew as well i, I don't I think I was probably subconsciously just trying not to talk yeah. about Drew. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand that. But we, we have to have the conversation, though, because this has been a consistent thing throughout the postseason. Right? He just he doesn't have it offensively. Like, especially today, 6 of 16 from the field, 2 of 7 from 3. Last game where they won, what was he, 4 of 14 from the field, 1 of 4, game 2. What was he? Six of 10. That was his best performance in the absolute shellacking uh, of Milwaukee. And if you even go back to game one, what was he? Uh, seven of 19. He just he doesn't have it offensively. The defense is getting better. I mentioned this. There is only one way to go for him. And that's just going up in terms of off ball awareness and on ball, just general Drew Holiday things. 
given his assignment might be a little easier now that uh, potentially Kyrie Irving is out. It might uh, be harder because he might have to take Durant more and deal with the size mismatch. Like that's actually what we saw when Kyrie went down. I, I don't know. That could be tougher for him. True. True. That's a fair point. So it might even get a little tougher for him. It's just offensively. It's, it's a problem. It really is. If you're looking for a way to energize the Bucks' offense, it's to not get sub 40% shooting from their starting point guard. Like I mentioned last episode, as I was going off the freaking rails that he has to fight the ghost <laughs> of Isaac Newton. And maybe he has to, <laughs> I completely forgot about Isaac Newton. Uh, so, he, he did have nine assists to one turnover this game. That's the one thing I will say. So there are things he's making work offensively. It's his jump shot. And I don't know how either you feel like this. I don't think Drew Holiday has ever been that convincing as a jump shooter. And I was pleasantly surprised by his numbers throughout the regular season. And obviously what we're seeing now is below what he really is. But I'm not entirely shocked that his shot is the thing that's causing him problems. Because again, something that we've seen success with, it happened a couple of times in this game. It's happened in previous games in the series. He goes inside and he uses his body. He's getting great success. doesn't matter who he's going up against. It's kind of, you know, that's what he should be doing. Um they need him to make some shots because otherwise, if we're back to talking about a point guard who's going to make very few shots and, you know, their best chance is using their physicality inside, that really is bringing some, some deja vu back. And it's, it's not that kind of situation. It's not. But it would be nice to see some shots fall. I predicted at the end of the last pod, I was like, I'd be prepared to bet a lot of money. I, I then pushed that away. I didn't want to get involved in that. I don't know who listens and how crazy they might be, but that the first play of the game would be specifically designed to get Drew going. Of course it was. My only issue with that is I wouldn't have drawn up a three-pointer for him. I would have drawn up, get him going inside and get his get a shot that's much more in his comfort zone. That's a gimme for him and try to get him going, try to get his confidence going this way. And I think... Game five, that may well be the approach again is to start the game by trying to get Drew going. I try to get him an easier look uh, because the jump shot isn't quite there. Maybe if you can get him enough easy shots inside, you can get some confidence going. They can start to fall. And if they do fall, well, I think the books are in a very strong position. If Drew suddenly finds something close to what his shooting has been throughout the regular season. I also want to point out the defense of Kyrie Irving has also been very, very, very good. I I want to stress that point. He's been absolutely incredible on both ends so far in this series, which is why this is potentially hoping for the best for Kyrie. Obviously, like this is potentially a big loss for Brooklyn because Kyrie has been bringing it on both ends of the court. Not only is he scoring and getting his own, but he's sort of been neutralizing one of the Bucks' three best players. Yeah, I mean, I I understand the jumper is is floaty, wishy washy with Drew, and it it's I think that's fine. He just has to find ways to impact the game with his scoring more, even if the jumper is not falling, even if that is getting inside. I mean, he had the series; he closed out the Pelicans with a four. Oh uh, yeah, the Pelicans. Oh no, he was on the Pelicans. He closed out the Trailblazers with a forty-one point game where he was two for seven from deep in that 
postseason in 2018 where he and Dame, Dame just sent home uh, Dame and CJ and the rest of them. Like, he can impact the game. He just needs to do it more. And I think, you know, it's great that he's trying to create for others. He did have the nine assist game, which was good. He hadn't gotten more than six in the series. But for him to not have cracked 20 points since game one against Miami when he scored exactly 20 points, that's just an issue. It's just a problem. Like, this is a guy they just need to rely on to be able to score more points. And that's the kind of thing where if you're Drew Holiday and you just get this max extension and you're a core building block and you wanted to be here and it's great and everyone feels good about it until we're in the playoffs and you scored 17, 13, 9, and now 14 in the semis against the Brooklyn Nets team that's known for scoring a lot. And obviously, he carries a lot of defensive load. He's created shots for his teammate. He's created very little turnover. He's uh, committed very little turnovers. He hasn't been aggressive enough offensively. And the number that tells you that is he attempted three free throws in game one and notoriously only made one of them. Do you guys know how many he's attempted since? Is it two? It's zero. Ooh, I, is not gotten to the I don't think point. many players in the series not named Giannis have been attempting free throws. Well, not period. many players in the series are on max deals and known for being scorers who they're mm, bred and more of them in this series inside. than there are in most series. Fair. Well, one of them played 40 seconds. <laughs> That's true. The other two on the other side have certainly attempted more than three. Uh, and I can check Chris, but Chris is more of a jump shooter than Drew. I mean, Drew's go to his best look on offense is I think him bullying guys around the paint and just lofting. 100%. And he hasn't even been consistently making those shots. I mean, he missed a couple bunnies early in this game. And again, I don't want to just sit here and hate on Drew Holiday. He's just going to have to be better. And I think we'll see. Maybe you get lucky in this series. You don't have to be at your best. I am still assuming for the Bucks, even just to get out of this series, they're just going to need to be better. Because I think they've kind of skated through some good but not great and game three is not even that games and gotten wins in the series when I really didn't expect that to be possible. I think Drew is a big key to a lot of this. I think if Drew is putting up 21 points instead of 13 points, a lot of other things end up just looking easier for the Bucks. I think I think 20 is a lot for him to, to be setting as a baseline. I think what his actual tallies were in this game are not that far off what they can be. The big problem in this one is he's 6-16. So he's not being efficient at all and just wasted possessions. It's like it's the same thing we talk about with Giannis. You just can't have them against this team. You can't have them even with players going down. If you're going up against Kevin Durant, because there will be games where you'll just get buried for that. But if there's nights where he's having 15 and 10 efficiently, that's fine. Now, there will be, and so far it hasn't been the issue in the last two games, which is how the books win those games. What it is tied to is you need a certain baseline of performance from him and Chris combined. And Chris has been more than kind of doing his share. And that's the key. And that has always been the key, really. It's okay. If Giannis is the guy, you know, you might get some kind of drop offs for Giannis, particularly if he spends a lot of time at the free throw line, the playoffs, but it's Chris plus your next guy or Chris plus your next two guys, or if you want to just group everyone not named Giannis in the starting lineup, that's where it comes to. Now, if Chris has a bad game, which could happen, you know, he may be, may be overdue one now, well then, yeah, you need you need a good Drew game or you've got no chance. Like, that, that goes without saying. 
but I, I think had our bad Chris game. <laughs> well, yeah, there could be another one though. I <laughs> I'm not going to say there will only be one in the series. We've had two. Did he not have a good game in one of those first two? No. Okay, fair enough. I, not many books would have a case for that. So it's yeah, I won't he, argue was, uh, he was thirteen for forty-three in games one and two. Uh, yeah, okay, that's, that's definitely not good. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, but no, I just I, I just want to see a little more from Drew, and I, I get he's a playmaker, and I, clearly we're now back to Chris and Giannis being the guys with the offensive. I mean, that game three is pretty pretty freaking obvious, but. I just want to see a little bit more. I just think it, it just lightens the load if he's going to be a consistent scorer. And like you mentioned, I mean, really fine if he's going to be 15 and 10 with great defense, which is still, you know, it's obviously very good performance night in and night out in the playoffs. You can't have the 15 coming on 19 shots or even 14 shots if you're going to be four for 14 or six for 16. Like that, at that point, it's like, okay, this something's got to give here. Like that's just not enough from Drew Holiday. What did you think about the conversation Rowan and I had on this in the last episode, which was particularly if they are as, you know, a conscious decision, they're going to Yas and Chris. The part of his struggles now might be finding his spot in there. Like, I think that is also part of why I'm I'm like, okay, nine assists, one turnover, 14 points, which they're more efficient, but that's that's pretty good given where things are. I think that I think today was an improvement for him, and it got better as the game went on. Too, it felt like he maybe moved a little further away from the jumper. But do you think it's possible that part of the issue we're seeing with him is they're still working this out, and they're now playing in a different way than they did in the regular season? And he's like, okay, well, this is new, and I'm not sure exactly what I do here, where I'm to be here, just how all this works. Yeah, I think that's definitely it. I think that's compounded by you look at a lot of the rotations. It's been he and Chris are the the one unit outside of starters, and then Giannis and guys is the other one. So you know, even in the when Giannis is off, or even in the non-starter minutes, the the other lineups, he's still not, like at this point, he's rarely ever the primary ball handler, and and looked at as the the offensive load. I mean, he's handling the ball, but he's rarely ever looked at as the guy who needs to score. And I just think. In the regular season, it felt like we had a lot more, you know, where lineups where it's Drew and maybe Brooke or maybe even Giannis and he's handling more or just Drew and more bench guys. And thankfully, it's good we're not seeing those lineups. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to see Drew and four bench guys. But I do think some of the opportunities where it was very obvious that he needs to be scoring and facilitating, some of those lineups are just gone now, and that's the playoffs. And I do think it is a little bit of an odd process for the Bucks going along here to figure out you know, when is who doing what? Maybe that's another reason that, you know, if Giannis cuts out five or six possessions that aren't great, maybe that's four possessions that Drew could be trying to take a shot with instead. But um, I, I think there's, I think that's a lot of it is trying to figure out this give and take of like who is exactly doing what. And it's difficult. It's the difficult thing, you know, on any team with two guys who are floating roughly around being number two, and especially so when it's the Bucks, where your number two may end up being number one late in games because your number one doesn't have the reliable jumper and everything else. So on a team that already kind of has a muddled offensive hierarchy, I think it makes it extra weird for Drew to be the interloper. Obviously, Chris and Giannis have been together for several years now trying to figure out where he fits in exactly. I just think one of the things with Drew is one of the most important things is that 
he's helped to ensure that the books do have a number two most nights. Like it's it's not the nights where it's like it's Yanis and who, because that is what would happen if Chris was off last year and you're then looking to Bledsoe. Okay, Bledsoe had his moments. Let's not be unfair, but he, he had different kind of moments that were very far from positive too. So that's kind of this is a team where not at the moment because injuries are giving the books some real breaks but if you're playing the nets at full strength well you'd need to be like okay this is a first option second option third option all three guys are firing that's not what they're facing right now and the reality is maybe the books could win it all if they can just ensure that they have a first and a second option who both perform every night that doesn't have to be Chris every night. It doesn't have to be Drew. They can alternate that between them. But there is a part where the books can get through this series and they could go all the way if they can just make sure they don't have no show nights for both of those guys. Or if Giannis has an off night, which is also possible, that those two guys are there ready to step up. You just need to have two guys every night. And I think that is something that Drew has helped a lot with. He hasn't had to do it the last few nights, but your point is completely accurate because if he is needed in game five well he has to step up because beyond him the books don't have many options so it will be nice to know that he's playing at a level where he's already there he's ready to give those points just in case they're needed yeah i'd I'd like to see it rohan do you have drew thoughts no i was just gonna say the guy who's in charge of uh making sure all these pieces fit together is uh your old friend mike budenholzer i guess our friend he's still here (laughs) adam i know you had thoughts on bud what do you want to get into I was mostly, as I always am with Bud, I'm more curious to hear your thoughts because I I know a lot of the Bud feelings. I mean, my my take on it, and I'm, again, curious for your response to it is, I just think the books were very clearly trying some different stuff. And that is one of the key things that we've asked for over and over again is let's just make adjustments. If something's not working, let's try something else. I feel like they came to this game with some ideas. They worked with them. Some worked well, some didn't. For example, we touched on that uh, all-time terrible spacing possession earlier in the game. But in getting to a place where you're doing that, you're already, you know, you're putting a different idea out there. There were the wrong five guys on the floor at that time to work with it. Was Brooke Lopez suddenly the ball handler on that possession? Sure. Like, none of this is perfect. I want an entire narrative uh, form piece done on that one possession. (laughs) Because, my goodness, that was something. That was one of the strangest plays I've seen from the Milwaukee Bucks in the last, like, five years. That's an oral history contender. Yeah, it is. It um, is. Maybe when the books win a championship, we can all like yeah. laugh. We can revisit because, like, remember, remember that possession in Game Four against the Nets where we all stood together and we laughed. <laughs> it can be uh, its own binge the the Bucks episode. Um, I agree. I think. I think, especially early on, I, I think the Bucks lost focus in the second half and reverted to some old habits, but. Early on, I thought the offensive scripting, first off, it felt like there was some offensive scripting. And we know a a very bud thing is like, we don't practice a lot, just go out there and flow in the stuff and and everything else. Obviously, I know the sidelines out of bounds plays that aren't in late games are really, really good. I get that. We just don't see a ton of scripted stuff like that in the Bucks, you know, play to play offense. There's a lot of possessions that just kind of go and, you know, let it fly, which 
clearly there are some limitations to that philosophy. But early on, it felt like it wasn't like that. The Bucks were, it reminded me of the four straight games or the four games, not straight games, but the four games against Philly and Brooklyn near the end of the regular season where Milwaukee was flowing into actions over and over again. Giannis is cutting off ball. Giannis is screening, dribble handoffs. Chris is moving around off ball a little bit, or at least running off screens and, and they're finding guys in the corner and making the extra pass. Although every Bucks extra pass is somehow to Brooke Lopez, not in the corner shooting a three. I don't know how he's always, and I, I get it's still, it's an okay shot. Why does it always have to be Brooke Lopez? The guy, and I get it's probably something defenses kind of hope for when the Bucks do make the extra pass. But there was actually one incident of that, one incident of that today, <laughs> where the extra pass went to Brooke, but then Brooke decided he was going to make an extra, extra pass, which rarely, rarely happens. It. And it was, that was to, was that Tucker or was it Pat in the corner that they made a tree? I think it was. I think Tucker. it was Pat. Okay. Well. No, wait. No, it, it was Tucker. It was the play where he went for the layup, wasn't it? Where he pumped fake KD out of the shoes? Or is that a different? Yes. Yeah, sorry, you're right. That is that is the play. And I was like, wow, Brooke made the pass. <laughs> it's shocking. But that is. This is something I've talked about a lot. People who've listened to Winning Six over the years will have heard me in the Bud era, because that was that's. Hawks bud. That is Hawks bud. And this game was Hawks bud where everything is inside out. Everything is inside out because it's just, it's a really natural way to get ball movement going. It's just kind of, it becomes much more intuitive. And I'm certain there were conversations and given the stats that we saw publicly um, that were going around about, you know, least passes ever. Ever right? It, I was just I was yes. pondering. I was like, "Did I see ever?" And yeah, I did see ever by a lot, like by a wild margin. Uh, this is only in in the tracking data era, so since whatever year in the last ten or twenty years, but it was like two point oh five per possession or something. And then the next closest was, of course, one of those Rockets teams, and it was like two point three five. And then there's like a bunch yeah. of teams in two point three, and then some in two point four. So it was like. They had the least passes by far. I think that was just Brooklyn series, but or maybe even the one game. I don't remember, but they just the ball was not moving, basically. But that is the thing where everyone could see that was a problem. Beyond, I think it's generally been a problem with the books under Bud. They haven't done as much of that as they should. And I think part of that has been that Brooke isn't the most willing or maybe the best passer out of the post and part of that is for a lot of Bud's time Brooke hasn't even been in the post no one's been there so you can't you can't really play inside out they found ways to make it work and I think that was really important and Giannis embraced that Chris embraced that and it's just yeah let's drive but let's use the drive as a platform for something else and let's get the ball moving and let's create good shots and it's just it's so simple when they do that I don't know why they don't do it every game they really should for the rest of the series now that they figure that out because, you know, for all the things that the Nets can do and I'm sure will do to counter the books, if the books just move the ball much better to create better shots, they're going to make more and they're going to be really difficult to stop. Like the books have to make it tough to defend them and it is not tough to defend static players, static ball and, you know, Giannis playing ISO from the three-point line. It's you're defending yourself at that point so that's the thing for me where it's like okay that was a real conscious effort and it paid off in a big way 
and you might just have unlocked some things too in the process. It's like that's how you get your role players firing. That's how the bench looks like, you know, a group of capable players. Because even though it isn't what happened in this game, say what Pat did and what PJ did, that formula can be the exact same formula that gets us another Bryn Forbes game like we saw against the Heat. It's like, keep playing like that. It doesn't have to be those guys. You have someone else who could get hot, could actually get much hotter than either of those two could from there and really win another game by himself. The other thing I really liked that Bud did, and I just love that we're going into game five and like we've we've discovered a thing that seems to work here. It could have been done a little quicker, but I do think this was a good a good coached a well coached game by Bud. Um, I love all the defensive attention that went to KD when as soon as Kyrie went down. Basically, like they didn't always double him, but they sent help pretty reliably, but just not reliably enough to make it too predictable and and too easy for him to to beat. And sometimes, I mean. I remember one of them, Chris kind of just like jogged over like five feet from him and put his hands up. And I was like, it's not really that useful. I think it was like, a, maybe it was just a, a show double, like a fake double. I don't know. It didn't accomplish a whole lot, but you know, KD kept passing. KD passed out of it a lot. And I think that's almost always a win. Like, I mean, we know we've seen Bruce Brown make a thousand floaters and Blake make a thousand threes, but the, on the average Nets role player night, that's pretty much always a win. And it's, you know, it wasn't a super advanced concept. It was, I mean, there's, we, we all saw the box and one against Steph Curry in the 19 finals, but I just thought it was nice to see immediately that, that adjustment of like, Oh, their offense is just KD. Like we're going to make that guy's life a lot harder and see if anyone can step up. And clearly no one could in this game. It's, it's impossible to argue that he hasn't gotten better as the series has gone on, given it's gotten a lot more simpler for Boonholzer, which makes it a little easier, but that shouldn't take away from the fact that he has gotten better and this Bucks team has gotten better clearly as they have now tied up this series two to two in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Do we have anything else we really need to touch on on this post game pod here? If you got somewhere you need to be, <laughs> no. One point one point five plus hours in, and Adam is like, I'm, I'm, just, getting, getting I'm just getting warmed up here. Exactly. Is- um, no, I don't really. I mean, I, I think we've pretty much covered it all. Like almost to a man going down. The roster, unless we've got assistant coaches, we all talk about. I think we're. What do we? I mean, what are we expecting? Axel Tupan hit a three. Like we that's something he can do on a basketball court. Like well, I, you know, I, I, maybe I have somewhere I need to be. Now. <laughs> I genuinely did not know what he was capable of doing on the offensive end, and now I know he can occasionally hit a three. Occasionally, meaning once. Um, game five. I I just I need to see this level of like methodical execution that the last two games have started with. I just need to see it for like basically the whole game. And, and, you know, hopefully the result is out of hand and the bucks are doing really well. And maybe they don't need to in the fourth quarter as much, but I, even if it doesn't work, even if you still lose the game, which I find it hard to believe at this point with this Nets team, but I just, I need to see it taken very seriously. Cause I do think this is like, I mean, it always is. Game five is that Magic's quote this year that Game five is always the one that determines the series. But it's it's true. I mean, obviously, if you can go in and, and take home court back and set up a win and go to the next round game in Pfizer, I mean, that's huge. I I don't Barclays is not exactly a great home court advantage, but I just I need to see this game five be treated basically like game three in a way, not in terms of it needs know, to be treated so. like an elimination game. Yes, really but does. also like let's see another forty-three minute Giannis game. You know what I mean? Like let's go all out and try to avoid going seven and 
giving more chances for these Nets guys to come back. And we don't even know if Kyrie is going to be out, but you assume. The latest update on Kyrie is that, according to Rachel Nichols, he left the building using crutches and a walking boot. Makes sense. I mean, that that is basically went 90 degrees the wrong way. So uh, not super surprising, but I, I just need to see an all-out game, like a max effort, smart execution, everything else. So I think it's going to be a great test for the Bucks, who – you know, survived a haymaker that could have certainly broken them. It broke us in a lot of ways, and that was game two and a lot of games. It's audio evidence to prove it's, it. It's there. The tapes are well, out there. More in one person's case than another's, but hey, <laughs> I say some stuff too. It's it's true. Can confirm. Um, but I, it's going to be huge. It's going to be a huge test of like you weather a storm, but now can now can the counterattack really go all the way? Because really, winning the two at home after getting blown out in Barclays like that in game two. It's a comeback, but it's you just got to where you started. So now, can you actually best of three. lead? Can you take the lead in the series? So I, I just I think the entire vibe of the game is going to be fascinating to me. Yep, start the strong, series, they win the series. Yeah, that's yep. it's it's as simple. And if they don't, the idea of this series going seven doesn't inspire great confidence in me. The idea of maybe it's just the thought of having to sit through a game seven where like every Yana's free throw trip could be decisive. Don't want to do it. Um, but I I think if the books are to win this series, I think game five is one they're going to have to get. I, I think the, the books' best chance of doing this will come in just, okay, they've... The Nets have been weakened and they're ready to crumble. So let's, let's get on with it. Like, let's go out and do it in game five and then you've got it in your own hands to wrap the thing up in game six. If you keep going and the, you know defending home court and we get to a game seven. Maybe that's just where I've seen too much stuff, you know, too much stuff over the years to really get optimistic on that. But if they can come out of the blocks fast and do some early damage, win game five, I think the Bucks will be going to the conference finals. Okay. So we got, we got a, do we have a score prediction? Wow. I'm all over the place. Uh, I think we better go to you first at this. Yeah, if you got any, Mr. Palindrome? You say like it's it. The palindrome's done. It's four. Well, so they're gonna start like uh, new palindrome. I, mean- I don't have enough of enough knowledge of like mathematical sequences. Like unless they're gonna win by like Fibonacci margins <laughs> or something. Like I I don't know. You're probably better equipped Ooh, for this. Than maybe most. maybe new pattern starts here. They flip the score, so game five is one fifteen one oh seven Milwaukee. Okay. Oh. I'm gonna say uh one twenty-six, just bucks in six. And I think the I think the offense finally gets uncorked if they play no net smarter score. throughout. Yeah, it just doesn't I, matter. I'm Wait, it, could, it, <laughs> it does, does matter if because they score the Nets could, the net, yeah, the Nets <laughs> could score like one fifty or something. One twenty six, one eleven. I I'd love the optimism of the book sniffing 120 anytime in this series. It's just something's not there for that right now. It should be. I mean, it's, there's no reason for it not to be. It's just it isn't. And I think they played quite well. And they shot well tonight, made a lot of trees, and we still ended up up 107. So, uh, 110, 106. Oh, close game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think okay. mine was super optimistic. I, I don't like guessing the score. I'm not good at it. 
We all know this from the behind. We the all used to do this yeah, back in the day. And Rowan knows that this was something that didn't work, uh, both because a lot of people hey, were terrible at it. I will say, I was the best at that, too. Uh, I'll go back and check the tape. If you're gonna, I was gonna consistently near the top of the like leaderboards. That. I will oh, say we, that. We've gone from I was the best at that to I was consistently <laughs> near the top of the I like, sixth the person. Top. I at heard the top. near. We'll you check know, the tape on this too. I, I know to some people in the know who can get access to those tapes very quickly. <laughs> and we might have an update on the Game 5 pod. Am I the only one that gets reprimanded for my takes? Is that it? You're no, the if, only if one Ty on said here. that, I'd be on Ty's case too. Okay, You're okay. the only one who gets it on here. The rest of us get it on Twitter for what you say on here. That's called the universe <laughs> balancing itself out. Yes, everyone continue to send your tweets to everyone except for me. Just send me the positive ones. Except for the ones where it's like I'm raising your heart rate and actually giving like actual health problems. Actually, no, keep sending me those. I want to know if I'm actually causing... Uh, you know, bad things to happen to people. Did that was a rain in your behavior then. Was, yes. Was I feel like I've been more controlled <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> I, I, the score line, I think did it for you. Yeah. The question is yeah. if those scores were reversed, like, would you just be shouting from the get go? It, it's like the bucks. We need to see him now, like make real progress. Like this was an easy one. Now we need to see in a real test, Rohan. Yeah. I'm stuck between out. whether I'm actually doing better or I'm just completely <laughs> broken and I just nothing can phase me. So, <laughs> just like I don't want to see game seven. I don't want to see us get to a point where Rohan might, uh, might need to let loose again. Well, we'll see what happens on the game. What game is it going to be? Five? Game five, five, five. Game, which is going to be on some Tuesday. Tuesday, I think. Yeah, right? I, think so. I think it's there every other day now for the rest of the series, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so Tuesday at a time that has yet to be determined, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, we will be back with you for another post-game pod then. But for now, I'll say thank you for listening to this Eurostep Win in Six crossover pod here on the Eurostep Podcast Network and on the Blue Wire Podcast now- Network. If you did enjoy the show, make sure to leave a rating on Apple or wherever you can. Make sure you're subscribed on your podcast platform of choice. Tell your family and friends about the show. Stay safe, everyone. Go Bucks, and we will talk to you next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.